Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Well, you guys know when we gather together for worship that many of us can focus in on music. We sometimes debate over the style, the kind, the tempo, the volume. (laughs) Music is incredibly important, and it's really a part of what God has ordained to worship Him. And others focus on things that are a part of the service, like where we put the announcements, and should we do the Lord's Supper, and the offering, and prayer time, and all those kind of things. And again, those are necessary and important. But no matter what, the worship service should really be about worshiping King Jesus and giving Him glory and honor. I think any of us in the room today would say that that's an undeniable fact. That's why we're here. There's something else that, that enables that to happen. And that really is the Word of God. The Word of God really must be central, and in my opinion, it is the most important thing that happens during a worship service. The Word of God really is the one thing that tells us what we're to sing. It tells us to whom we're to sing about. The Word of God tells us how to pray. The Word of God tells us who this God is that we're singing to and worshiping. The Word of God tells us how to properly relate to each other and how to even do the things that we do in the service. So, besides seeking the Lord and His glory in worship, what else really should be done when we're gathered together? I think as we continue preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians, we'll find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 answering this question, what else should we be seeking in worship? Rather than seeking after God and His glory, what else should we be seeking after? So Paul, I believe, tells us three things that we should be seeking after in worship in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 19. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'd ask you to open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one somewhere in the seat pockets underneath the chairs, somewhere around you. If not, we also have it up on the screen. Let's turn our eyes to the Word of God this morning and read verses 1 through 19. I'll ask you to stand as we proclaim God's infallible, inerrant, and inspired Word. The Bible says these words, Pursue what, church? Love. Yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. The one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. The one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy, and greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or knowledge or, or prophecy or of teaching? 
And even lifeless things, either flute or harp, and producing a sound, if they don't produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? You'll be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. Then I do not know the meaning of the language I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I'll pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, and I'll sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks since he does not know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I think God, I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. You may be seated, and may God bless me as I try to make this make sense to you. Paul has just finished telling them of the more excellent way, if you remember, we preached on love. Then he confronts them on the unloving ways of misusing the gift of tongues. Paul devotes, in our Bible today, an entire chapter to this subject. One of the things you need to know going on in the background is, why Paul is giving them this kind of information and what Paul is really doing is, is he's helping them understand how their culture has influenced the church. The Greco-Roman religions believed that worshipers of a deity would drink themselves drunk and dance themselves into a frenzy until they were kind of out of it. And when that happened, they believed that that was when they'd have the highest communication with their God. Their spirits would leave their bodies and communicate directly with deity. Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. And during these times when they were ecstatic like that and they were just kind of all out of control, this language, this gibberish would just come out of their mouth and that would seem to be the highest form of communication with a God. Paul writes and helps them to understand, listen, this has influenced your church. This ecstatic utterance, these gibberishes of working yourself up has penetrated the church and it needs to stop. So he gives them three truths about tongues. We'll cover the position kind of where tongues lie, its purpose and the procedure for it happens as we go over the next couple of weeks. But today we're going to look at the position as compared to prophecy what is, what is greater than maybe tongues? Or where does prophecy lie on that? And so what Paul does is Paul uses this idea of tongues really not to tell us about what tongues are, what they're not, but he uses that as an illustration to tell us what worship should really look like. So Paul gives us these three overall goals of what we really should be seeking in worship by telling us what they were seeking, which was tongues, and that really wasn't leading to worship. So first of all, Paul says this, in worship, we should seek comprehensive edification. Comprehensive edification. He says there in verse 1, he says to pursue love. 
That's not just a, a typical word to pursue. It means to follow or to hunt or to chase after with incredible intensity. Paul says, listen, get, get after this love thing. Get after it hard. And love is crucial. Paul has just told us what, what love is in chapter 13. And, and so he says to do this with intensity. So listen, remember, agape love puts the needs of others first. It's self-sacrificial. It's completely focused on others. But they're seeking after tongues with self-seeking. So Paul says, listen, even in your pursuing of gifts, listen, keep love as the big idea. And while love is primary, we all understand that there are other things that aren't to be disregarded. So he says then, okay, as you're pursuing love as the highest thing, there's some other things. And so he says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Love is the great motivator and the way to use the spiritual gifts. The strong desire for spiritual gifts is not wrong in itself, but they were wanting it for selfish and showy reasons. They should have desired to be using the gifts they had to serve others, not wanting what others had. The desire he's talking about here is the desire to use your gifts to serve others, not to want to have gifts to serve yourself. Then he says, especially that you may prophesy. You may not know it, but this is Texan in the Bible, because that word you there is the word y'all. It's plural. So he doesn't say individually you should pursue gifts. He says y'all pursue gifts. It's, it's very important that you understand that the you is plural. So Paul says especially do this. Why is he telling them? Because he's saying it is more important to pursue prophecy because it will accomplish what tongues can't, namely to comprehensively edify everyone in the body. Let's remember what he's talking about here when he says, especially pursue prophecy. Prophecy was the supernatural ability to speak a word from God. You see, when you came in here this morning, you may have brought, like I did, a paper copy of God's word. Some of you may have brought a digital copy of God's word. Some of you may have brought it on your phone or on your tablet, and then we even have it up here behind me on the screen. You and I have access to the words of God that the prophets brought. They didn't have a copy of the Old Testament to open up. They certainly didn't have a copy of the New Testament because it had yet to be written. So what did God do? Well, God would send prophets to the church with a word directly for him, and they would stand up and bring that word to the church. That is not what happens today because we have got all the prophecy we're ever going to receive. It's right here. So, so really what Paul is saying is, is, listen, when the word of God is complete, you're just going to need to hear what God has already said. Seek that in the church. Seek the word of God to be interpreted and proclaimed to you. Earnestly desire that. That the word of God be communicated in the worship service. There was a problem in Corinth because the Corinthians were too focused on tongues. And the type of tongues that the Corinthians were practicing had no edification to the body. Paul then therefore says... For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Now, we have to understand that. Paul says that they couldn't speak to men. In other words, they couldn't even instruct or exhortate anybody. They could only speak to God. Now, I need to take you to your Bibles for you to understand something here, very importantly. So watch here. Watch what we're going to do. Watch where we're going to go. After some study in the original language, I noticed 
something that was key to interpreting this entire chapter. This separates us from a lot of denominations, so pay attention here. Paul says, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. In the original Greek, there is no definite article there. In other words, to speak to the God. So what Paul is saying here, in my interpretation, in my opinion here, what Paul is saying is, is that you can't speak to men. What you're doing is speaking to a God. You guys have brought over your foreign practices, and you're hoping to speak to one of the many deities from which you've been saved from. You're here to speak to a God. So only speak, you can't speak to men, you speak to a God. So let me tell you what this means. What this means is is there's no instance in the Bible of any believer speaking to God in anything other than a known, normal, intelligent language. Jesus, when he was praying in John chapter 17, God speaking to God was, was praying in simple, clear, understandable language. Jesus is warned against meaningless repetition in Matthew 6. And there he's talking about this unintelligible, just gibberish of pagan tongues, just just saying meaningless words and sounds over and over and over again. So Paul is saying that they were not able to speak to each other, but were only carrying out pagan worship of a false deity. And therefore, he says, "For, for no one even understands. This literally means there in verse 2 that no one hears. It wasn't comprehensive edification. It was only self-gratification, self-excitement. Then he says, in in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. And those are the mysteries associated with the mystery religions. Unlike the gospel that, that Paul is fixing to get to in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, unlike the gospel that makes things that were previously not known known, The pagan mystery religions that you guys are involved in intentionally keeps things mysterious so the elite privilege can know them. And he says, you're doing this here, but the one who who does this is is not even doing this, but he's doing it in his spirit, not in the Holy Spirit, that he's speaking these mysteries. That's interesting to me because it's not the Holy Spirit that this is happening by because In the Greek, it's in the locative case, and and the locative case means that it's located in the person doing it. So in other words, you're the one speaking this stuff. It's not through the Holy Spirit that this is happening. In your spirit, in your own flesh, you're speaking these mysteries from these religions that you've come from. This has got to stop in the house of God. Now, Paul begins to focus on the contrast between prophecy and tongues and their ability to edify. Verse 3. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. A believer exercising a true gift through the Holy Spirit will minister to others. It'll be comprehensive. Everybody will be blessed. There's the holy trifecta, if you will, from proclamation of the word of God. He says the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification. The word edification is a word made up of two words. It's interesting. It's the word for house and the word to build. So Paul says that that this means to build an edifice. That's why we we call that building an edifice. It's an edification, if you will. What is an edification? It's to build up something. That's why we call houses an edifice, a place that something has been built up. So Paul is saying, listen, when you proclaim the word of God, you're building people up so that they they can have a place that they feel safe and they can dwell in that's beneficial, that's helpful, that's supported them. That's what the word of God does. It builds people up for something useful. Exhortation then is the word paraklesing. 
If you've been around church, you've heard that root somewhere when referencing the Holy Spirit as being our paraclete. That's a word that means to call somebody to someone's aid for help. It carries the idea of an appeal or an entreaty. So prophecy is how God comes alongside of you when you're calling out to him for help. He brings you a clear word from his word. And then he says for consolation. That's a word that means to be speaking closely to a person to console them with a degree of tenderness. It carries the idea of comfort. So, so when you're needing a word of comfort or consoling deep in your spirit, God sends you a word from his word to comfort you. So prophecy, this, this proclaiming of the word of God like we're doing now, is to build everyone up, to encourage everybody, and to comfort the entire body. But, he says in verse 4, but the one who speaks in a tongue, none of that's happening. He just edifies himself. This is sarcasm here. Tongues have to be interpreted to be understood. They cannot edify if they're not interpreted. They can't edify the person speaking or the ones listening. Thus, they're not to be used for personal or private devotional life. Tongues aren't to be used while preaching. I'm not supposed to go, I ain't got anybody. That's not what's supposed to be happening. While we're singing, oh, praise God, I'm just singing it That's not supposed to be happening. Paul is referencing the supposed value they'd placed on their false tongue speaking. And this satisfaction was self-satisfaction. And it was building up for self. Thus again, in contrast to what Paul has talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, that it's not loving to focus on yourself. But, notice there, but one who prophesies edifies the church. This is the purpose of gifts. They're for the comprehensive edification of the church. Paul has already covered this in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 when he says this, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, talking about gifts, for the common good. Gifts are never meant for me. My private devotional life is not what it's for. Gifts are meant for the common good of the body to edify the church. Verse 5, he says, now I wish that all of you spoke in tongues. Well, that's interesting. He's just warned them about this, and now he's going to say he wishes everybody did it? What Paul is doing here, and you have to understand this, is something that happens in the Greek language. You'd have to understand language to understand this. Just trust me. I know that's dangerous. Be a Berean, though. Go study your Greek. But trust me, I've studied the Greek, and I know. But still, trust. do your own work here. Paul is making a statement for the sake of emphasis to deny the statement he's just made. What he's saying is he's wishing that everyone would speak in tongues because that would be impossible for everybody to do. You know why? Because he just said not everybody over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 has the same gifts. So then why would Paul say, I wish that everybody would have the same gift and here say, and over in chapter 12 say, nobody has the same gift. We got to let the Bible interpret the Bible. 1 Corinthians 12, 30, he says this, all do not have the gift of healings, do they? And all do not speak with tongues, do they? So if I'm going to let the Bible interpret the Bible, then what Paul is saying is, is then, then I wish that everyone would prophesy. Well, not everybody can have the gift of prophecy either, right? So this is also impossible for the same reason. So he's using emphasis to say he's not wishing everybody would speak in tongues, and he's not wishing that everybody would prophesy. Verse 5, he says this, now I wish, even with you prophesy, and greater is the one who prophesies. Now he's getting to the meat to make his point. 
But greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues unless interprets so that, there's the purpose, that the church may receive edifying. Greater is the one who prophesies, right? So even if everyone had the same gifts, he would say it is better if everyone had the gift of prophecy. Why? Because it allows for the comprehensive edification of the entire church. And it is at this point that I have to help you understand some, some grammatical stuff and also some, some exegesis stuff here. I've got to teach you something to help you understand how I'm interpreting, why I'm interpreting, and the results of my interpreting. So watch this. Here's an important interpretive principle you have to understand. You will notice that in verses 2 and 4, look in your Bible. For the one who speaks in a tongue, do you notice it is singular? Did everybody see that? In verse 4, and the one who speaks in a tongue, do you see that? It is singular. Do you notice then in verse 5, he says, I wish all of you spoke in tongues. Do you notice now that it's plural? What Paul is doing here in this chapter and all through the Bible is he's basically saying this. When he uses the word tongue, he is referring, when it's in the singular, it means the false gift of the unbiblical ecstatic utterances of tongues. When he uses the plural tongues, he's talking about the true spiritual gift of me speaking a language that I had never studied and that I would not know if I just declared it to you and you would understand your known language through me speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's using something here. It's a device in writing. He's referring to the false gift and the true gift. So when you see the word tongue, no, he's speaking, he's talking about ecstatic, unbiblical utterances. And when he uses the word tongues, he's talking about the true spiritual gift. So in worship, we should seek comprehensive edification because secondly, Paul now builds on this and says this, in worship, we should seek clear meaning, clear meaning. Verses 6 through 12, he begins to kind of parse this out. He says there in verse 6, but brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, that's, the, that's tongues, it's plural. This is the true biblical gift. If, as an apostle, I come to you speaking in tongues, Paul's not even going to say, what profit would there be if I did that and there was no interpretation? He'd say, listen, even if I did speak to you in tongues, it wouldn't be this ecstatic utterances that, that people don't know what it means. I would even, even in my tongue speaking, I would speak to you about prophecy. I would speak to you about edification. I would probably, I would be speaking in tongues about something teaching you about the word of God. And his point in all of this is that any message that can't be clearly understood is useless because we should seek clear meaning. So he says in verse 7, yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp. The word flute there is the word for pipe, and the word harp there is the word kithara, which we get our word guitar from. If those instruments don't produce distinction in tones, how will anyone understand what is being played? I mean, rhythm, structure, harmony, and other things take a group of notes and make music instead of noise. For music to be understood, and it must be intelligent in its own way. Notes, chords, riffs, they all have a musical purpose. What is that purpose? It's to communicate something. It's to communicate sadness, joy, peace, strife, excitement. So if they don't produce distinction of tones, Paul says, how will it be known what is played on the flute of the harp? And that would have made sense to the Corinthians because they had one of the largest music halls in all the, the land. They had a, a music hall in Corinth that sat 20,000 different people. So Paul is speaking to them right at their culture. 
So verse 8, he says, listen, if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? I mean, hearing a bugle means nothing to a soldier if it isn't one of the military calls that's being played. Mere notes are meaningless to him. How will he know what it means if he doesn't hear something like the call to arms, charge, retreat, rebelly? How's he going to know? Thus, verse 9, so you also. Unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? Otherwise, you're just speaking in the air. In other words, in the same way, we cannot communicate Christian truth through meaningless sounds. Unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how is anybody going to know what's being spoken? There will be no clear meaning. The Corinthians were not concerned about communicating. They were only concerned about self-edification. So no wonder there's such a problem, church. Verse 10, he says this, There are perhaps a great many kind of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. Therefore, he's now defining what true spiritual gifts are. It's a known language, that, that I've never studied before, that now I'll have the ability to speak. That, that's what the true gift of tongues are. There are many languages in the world. But he says, no kind is without meaning. A language without meaning is useless. So a language without meaning truly is not even a language. It's meaning that makes a language. Each may sound different, but they have a common purpose to communicate, to translate meaning among those speaking the language, right? The language must be understood by both the speaker and the hearer. It is two-sided. Otherwise, verse 11, he says this. If I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks to me will be a barbarian to me. That word barbarian is an onomatopoeic word. It's made up of two words, bar, bar. And here's what he's saying. If you're speaking to me, and I don't know what you're speaking about, it's like you're going bar, 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 bar. And when you speak to me, bar, 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 that's where they got that idea. You're a barbarian, and I'm a barbarian. When we don't know what we're speaking, which is bar, 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 bar. Well, that's what languages sound like. You get somebody speaking Spanish so fast, I can't understand it. It's like, that's all they're doing. That's what he's saying. Thus, Paul says even the true gift of tongues is meaningless without an interpretation. So then his point is how much more so the false gift of gibberish that's taking place. You need to stop this because it has no meaning. Verse 12. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. In other words, if you're eager to use spiritual gifts, use them the way God's intended for the church's edification. That word seek means to do so continuously. It's the habitual action. I'm always to be seeking to use my gifts in a way that benefit other people. And from its first occurrence, the gift of tongues was a way to communicate clear meaning to people. At Pentecost, everyone from different countries and languages each understood the meaning of what was being preached. Acts chapter 2, verses 6, 8, and 11, it says this. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And how is it that we hear them each in our own language to which we were born? Cretans and, and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues of the mighty deeds of God. They clearly understood what was being spoken. Thus... When we are in worship, we should seek the common edification, and one of the ways that we do that is to provide clear meaning of what we're saying. And then thirdly, Paul says this, in worship, we should seek common understanding. Common understanding, verse 13 through 19, Paul tells us this. You'll notice there, he says, therefore he speaks in a tongue, right? That's key. Whenever you're doing this, this gibberish stuff, 
Pray that you may interpret. Now that sounds interesting. So he says that one who speaks in a false tongue should pray that he may interpret. First, remember, this is the false gift of tongues. But secondly, Paul is not teaching that we should ask for tongues or that we should even ask for the gift of interpretation. Because Paul has already taught us that the Holy Spirit sovereignly gives the gifts. We just receive them. We don't ask for them. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, he says this, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. The gifts are not to be sought and accepted, but just properly used. So sarcastically, he's saying this, while you guys are jabbering away your unclear and unedifying gibberish, you could at least ask God to help you make it make sense to somebody. He's sarcastic here. What you're doing is pagan and it's pointless. Verses 14 and 15. But if I pray in a tongue, if I did this nonsense, my, my spirit, my flesh would be praying, but my mind would be completely unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I pray with the spirit and I pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I'll sing with the mind also. As referenced earlier, the pagans had these ecstatic utterances in which they believed to be communicating with the gods spirit to spirit. And that was meant to bypass the mind and normal understanding. And Paul is most likely using the word spirit here in the sense of breath. You have to understand that the word spirit, is, we get the word pneumatic, a pneumatic mattress from the word spirit. It's the word pneuma. It means breath. So, so Paul is most likely here using it. If I pray, if I just, just breath this kind of stuff, my mind is unfruitful. If I pray in a tongue, this false gift, this gibberish, my spirit, my breath is just prays, but there's nothing edifying happening. And the spirit here, again, is not the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will never lead anybody to have an unfruitful mind. The greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're not worshiping God if you're not using your mind. So he's saying, if I, although an apostle, were to speak gibberish that many of you are speaking, my mind would have no part in it. I would only be blowing air. It would be seen as empty and mindless. You would see this in pagan temples. So verse 15, what is the outcome then? What Paul is saying, there's no place for gibberish tongues or praying in tongues or singing in tongues or any of that kind of stuff in the church. Praying and singing with the spirit must also be accompanied by praying and singing with the mind. Edification cannot exist without the mind. So praying or singing in tongues could serve no purpose, and Paul wouldn't do it because there's no common understanding as why. Verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen as you're giving of thanks? So they don't know what you're saying. Otherwise, he's saying this. Ungifted means ignorant, unlearned, or unskilled. A person who is ignorant of a language or unskilled in a language cannot say thanks or the amen at what you're saying. If you think you're speaking in a tongue and you think you're giving thanks, no one else is going to know what you're saying and therefore they can't agree with you. Thus the gift of being used improperly because there's no common understanding of what's being said. So then verse 18, he says this. He says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Well, that's interesting, Paul. The tongues here is in the plural, notice. Now he's talking about the true spiritual gift. Paul understood what the true spiritual gift was. 
for all to understand how it should be used. He may have used it, and he would have used it with an interpreter to preach at times. Yet here's Paul's point. Yet he considered it not as important as the other gifts to the degree that he doesn't even make mention of him ever doing it or any other believer using it in his writings. And he's making a point. Verse 19, here's his point. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind. There it is again. So that I may instruct others also, rather than 10 words, 10,000 words in a what? This false gift of tongues. There's that singular again. In other words, Paul is saying this. I'd rather speak five words in a long, long language than just a bunch of gibberish. Why? Because there'd be common understanding. The unintelligible has no place in the church and it's useless. Five understandable words are far more desirable than 10,000. That word 10,000 is myriad. It can mean 10,000, but it can also mean innumerable. innumerable. We get our word myriad from this. So when there's myriads of angels, it means there, there's innumerable amount of angels. Paul's not even using 10,000. He said, no matter how many thousands of words I spoke, and it's static, just gibberish, it means nothing. In the church, I'd rather speak five words that make sense than a whole bunch of words that don't. So, Paul is saying that he knew the gift of tongues was going to cease. We, we talked about that. For more info, go back to that and listen to that message. He was giving them this warning about self-serving, worldly, carnal, ineffective, God-dishonoring substitutes for the true gifts that God has blessed and intends to be used at the edification of his church. So in worship, Paul is saying, we've got to seek the common edification of people. We've got to seek clear meaning, and we've got to seek the common understanding. So, so let me bring this home for you and, and tell you a few things here. Here at First Baptist Church, this is one of our goals. We seek to preach and teach the Bible in ways that build up our church. Thus, we preach expositionally, book by book, and verse by verse. In other words, we exposit expositional preaching. We take out the meaning of the text and try to make it clear to you. We try to take the culture that exists there and bridge it and make it applicable to this culture. We seek to preach and teach the Bible in a way that it has clear meaning, like I've attempted to do today. Our teachers and leaders work and study hard and make sure that they understand what the text means so that they can help you know what it means. Thus, I'm not being mean, I'm not being rude, but I'm just telling you, we don't give sermonettes. So if you're looking for a 15 or 20 minute sermon, that's not what you're going to get here. It takes a few minutes to do what I just did. I can't give that to you in 20 minutes. We don't give little devotionals. We don't give homilies. We give sermons here, amen. We stick with the Word of God. We're not seeking to be clever. We're not seeking to be hip. We're not even trying to keep up with the cool people. We're just simply seeking to bring clear meaning of the text to bear upon your life. And lastly, we seek to allow for a common understanding of what the Bible is saying. And this is where application comes in and what it means for your life happens. It's one thing to know what a text means. It's another thing to understand how it works in your life. So importantly, we allow the text to drive all of this. I'm not going to preach a bunch of stories and then help the Bible fit in around that. I'm not going to come up with a sermon series that says 15 ways to do this and sprinkle a little Bible in there. That's not what I'm going to do. That's not what we do here. If that's the kind of church you want, praise God, go find it. But I'm just saying that's not what we do here because that's not what Paul said we should be doing here. 
We should be seeking to take this, this gift is what's most important. Seek the gift of prophecy. The entire church should want that gift because it's going to build everybody up. Everybody will know what it means and everybody understand how to apply it to their life. That's what God wants in his church when you come here. Amen. So personal word of testimony as my band comes. Personal word of testimony to show you how this applies to my life. Very early on, I had to choose what kind of preacher I was going to be. Was I going to be a topical preacher? Just pray and say, God, what do you want to speak to the church? And man, I just come up with a topic and I'll just try to make it make sense. I'll throw a thousand Bible verses in and, and hope it makes sense. Am I going to be the sermon series guy that finds out what the top 10 movies out there are, number one, and I just preach a sermon series on the top 10 movies? Am I going to do that? Am I going to take the latest Christian book and I'm going to kind of make it the, the, the main emphasis of my sermon? I'm just going to teach you what somebody else has said about something. Am I going to do that? Am I going to be the hip, clever, cool guy who just gets up here and tells you a bunch of random stuff and just makes it sound so Christian that you get so excited that you're just like, man, that was awesome. Or is I going to be a guy who said, when God called me, he says, you need to rightly divide this book. And when people leave the church service, Steve, your job is to make sure they know more about this book when they leave than when they came in. Are you going to teach them the whole counsel of my word? Is that what you're going to do? Because that's what I have called you to do. You should preach and that you should teach. Listen, there is no preaching without the word of God. And so I had to tell you right here today, listen to me. This is the kind of church we are. This is the kind of thing that we're trying to do. My call, my call upon my life, man, has been to study this and to obey it myself and to leave it with you. So my goal for you is not to hear how clever I am or how smart I am. My goal for you is to have heard a word from God. I used to ask people, you know, hey, how'd you like the service? And I know I'm asking the wrong question. A lot of times I even ask it just out of habit. I'm, I'm trying to fix this in my life. How'd the service go? Or was the service good? And that's not what we should be seeking. The question that I, that I want you to ask me and that I want to ask you is, man, when you leave every day, it's not was the service good, but did you hear from God? That's what we should be about. So if you're looking for a church, man, I, I would pick one that was all about the Bible if I were you. If you're listening to me on the way of internet, you're driving by on 71, you picked up our service. I want you to know today, if I was looking for a church, I'd find one that was doing this. I mean, we'd love to have you join our fellowship. I don't care what church you're from. You come on, we'll take you all. But I want to encourage you to also be a part of an adult Bible study where you can get in and learn the Bible. If you're not a part of our Sunday morning adult Bible studies, man, I would encourage you to be a part of that. Because that's where you're going to learn, man. You're going to get some clear meaning in those groups. And then I would encourage you to be a part of a, of a growth group that meets different times during the week because that's where you're going to get community. And that's where you're going to get the application part that we're talking about. That's where the understanding of it all comes in. But I would encourage you, every time you come into a worship service, I would I encourage you to come up with an attitude that says, you know what, I'm here to seek to build other people up. I'm not here to be necessarily the one that's being served. Uh, in other words, I don't want to come to the church to tear people down. I want to build people up. 
I don't want to come into the church to gossip about people. I want to help them find ways to glorify God. I didn't come here to think about me. I came here to think about others. So, so when you're coming, man, that, that's what, one of the things I want to encourage you to do. Seek to build others up. Here's something else. This may sound so self-serving, but I'm trying to help you apply this. Seek to understand what is being said instead of being critical of it. If you came here today looking for how I'm doing something wrong, you're going to find it. I guarantee you. If you're looking for how somebody didn't do something right, you're going to find it. I'm just asking you to seek the clear meaning. Seek to, to, to understand before being understood. Seek to clearly understand what is being said before communicating with others. Can I just tell you that? So, so some of you may say, you know, did you hear what the pastor's here at lunch today? Did you hear what he said? There he goes again. Be careful. Because I'd rather you come ask me to make sure that that's what I said than that you just spread a lie. Because that stuff happens all the time. And we don't need any more of that, amen? We need to seek to build each other up. So seek to find ways that the Lord may have what's just been said this morning to, to, to speak to your life. So in other words, don't be just a hearer of what's been said. Be a doer. So that would mean when you go home, you've got to find ways to get in the text and study it. Study it so that it can build you up and build others up. Seek to find out what it means and, and seek to find ways that you can understand it. And if you don't know how to do that, that's why Pastor Justin is really here. He's our discipleship pastor. And it's one of his great passions to help you get into the word of God. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible today, can I just encourage you? Pastor Justin, he's the guy who came. He's the guy who stood right here and prayed. We have Bibles. I mean, nice Bibles. Study. We have all kinds. of. We want to give them to you for free. So please come see him if you need a Bible. But can I just encourage you, get into the Word of God and let it get into you. I wonder if you just rise your feet. We've said a lot today. And hopefully I haven't left you more confused than what you went and you came in. Y'all pray for me. This ain't easy. I'm not seeking to be right. I'm just trying to really give you the idea of what, that I've studied to show myself approved. But listen, if you're in the sound of my voice today and everything I've just said probably did not make sense to you and you're like, you're just breaking your own, you're breaking your own stuff there, dude. But you're trying to be clear. <laughs> well, spiritual things are only understood by spiritual people. And if you don't have the spirit of God living inside of you, it's probably the reason you don't understand today's message. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. You probably need Jesus. If you need the Lord Jesus today, listen, can I just tell you this? That the Bible tells you and tells me that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a person in this room who, who's, who's perfect. Not a person in this room that's going to make it to heaven based on your good stuff. That You, you haven't done enough good. There's, there's no way you can do that. You can't be good enough. Because at your core and at my core, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. I came out of the womb that way. And here's proof positive of it, right? My, my little granddaughter, Sophie, that was just born a, a couple of days ago, she's less than, than a week old. And here's the truth of the matter of it. By the time she's one, she's going to prove that she's a sinner. Because I'm not going to teach her how to throw a fit. I'm not going to teach her how to take things. I'm not going to teach her how to hit. She's, she's born that way. We're all born a sinner. And so here's the thing. We need a new nature. That's so why we need to be born again. And you're, you're a sinner at your core, so therefore you need something to change you from the, from the outside in and the inside out. 
God's got to come into your heart and then change you from the inside of out. And so you just confess to the Lord Jesus, man, that you're a sinner, that you want his forgiveness and his mercy, that you believe that he died, man, for your sin and that he was buried and that he was raised. And you want that. You want to turn from your sinful ways to turn to his ways. And when you ask that, he'll come in and make you new. And then check it out. This starts making sense to you. But I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what's really going on, but this altar will be open for you to pray. Maybe you have loved ones that are sick. Maybe you got things that are going on, appointments coming up you need prayer for. I don't really know. You just want to share a word of encouragement with somebody. You just want to love somebody. You just want to talk to somebody. This altar will be open. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And you come.